Uh, good morning again, and welcome to Alive Family Church. We're so glad to have each and every one of you guys joining us today. Uh, my name's Eric. My wife, Erica, we're lead pastors here, and we are in our fourth and final week of our Love Handles series, right? We've been kind of dedicating the whole month of October to looking at the raw and the real of relationships, and specifically through the context of marriage, right? And uh, we've been having a lot of fun. We've been talking about a lot of different things, but maybe in case you uh, didn't join us each week of, of this series, just a quick recap for you. Yes. Quick recap. Okay, week one, we talked about what is your vision, and in all of these Um, messages we've been using marriage as the framework, right? And so we asked the discussion, every Sunday we had a takeaway discussion question. And the question that week was, why does your marriage exist? Mm -hmm. Like, what's the purpose of your union? Really important question that most married couples have never considered. Why, Why are we married? What's the purpose of our union? And maybe you're single or in a different type of season than asking the same question, God, what is the purpose of this season? What is the purpose of my singleness from a Godward perspective? Week two, we talked about winning at communication and conflict. We talked about a lot of really practical stuff. But the one big takeaway discussion question was, when is a time every day that You can connect husband and wife and communicate about the day on a heart level. So continuing to stay connected that way. Last week, week three, we talked about sex God's way. Hello. And it was very PG-13. Spicy, if you will. Yes. Um, So if you missed that, go back and listen to that. It had the highest YouTube viewings Uh, Ever, almost, yeah. So So people were interested. Hopefully you guys have been applying week three as well. (laughs) So I talked to some married couples this week. Oh, you did? They're like, hey, this has been a good week. I was like, hey, awesome. (laughs) So the discussion... Be a doer of the word (laughs) and not a hearer only. Can I get a good amen for the married people in the room? Come on. The discussion question from last week was, how are you keeping the marriage bed undefiled? Whether you're married or whether you're single, how are we following that commandment from the Lord? All right. The love handle this morning. We've got the last love handle. We need to get a handle on this. And the one, how we're phrasing it today is, it's bigger than us. When we think about our marriage, our union, our relationship, I believe God wants us to walk away today knowing that, man, it is so much bigger than just the two of us, right? That, man, God has, ha- has an eternal plan and a powerful plan and purpose for our marriage union, often beyond just sparks in our eyes and loving relationship. But, man, God sees generations. God sees fruit. God sees eternal things coming forth from our union as he brings a husband and wife together. And uh, a scripture that we've went to every week in this series, I want to go here one more time, is from John chapter 10, verse 10. Uh, in the uh, Amplified version, it says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus said, I have came that they may have and enjoy life, have it in abundance to the full till it overflows. And so we've just been talking about how God desires for every area of our lives to to flourish, to thrive. We don't want our marriages just to survive. We want our marriages to thrive, right? And God desires for our marriages to produce much fruit that is much bigger than the two of us. And so today we've got three things we really want to dive into and really unpack this love handle about it's bigger than us with and uh, help really paint the picture of our marriages being so much bigger, right? Yes. So the first thought this morning um, in the umbrella of our marriage is bigger than us, number one, God wants godly offspring. 
Amen. We're going to talk about this for quite a bit. We're going to go to a couple of scriptures that supports this. But before we go into the scriptures and expound on that, I just want to share a personal story, something that has become very real to us over the years, and especially um, when our two oldest were quite young. But before I share the story, I just want to say that in all of the ministry that Eric and I have been involved with over the years in full-time ministry for 12 years, we can say with full confidence that we believe that the most um, potential-laden um, ministry that we have that could have the biggest kingdom impact is found in the hearts and lives of our children Amen. and soon-to-be grandchildren. Yeah. Um, and it's the same for, for all of us. Um, you know, Eric and I, quick, quick little story here. You know, we've been in full-time ministry um, for 12 years, eight of those years in Kalamazoo. We oversaw, you guys are familiar with what we do here at Alive, but in Kalamazoo, we oversaw a discipleship program for college-age students. And um, every year we had 30 to 40 college-age students that were part of this program that had very close personal relationship with us that we discipled really on a, on a day-to-day basis. They were going to college classes, but then three days a week they would come to the church and we would lead corporate prayer with them three days a week, an hour each. We would have Bible studies um, weekly with them. We had um, guy-girl discipleship break-offs. Part of the program was also um, a weekly one-on-one, like hour to hour and a half long one-on-one, me with the girls and Eric with the guys. And so we were very involved in these students' lives, loved them like our own kids kids and they had a lot of access to us they we we poured heart and soul into these students well I have a distinct memory when Ellen and Eli were young when they were toddler preschool age I had an awareness of how limited the impact of our involvement in these students life was compared to the ministry that we had to our children yeah I started to realize that um you know, some of these students that we were rubbing shoulders with, you know, these students, these college-age students that we were leading in corporate prayer sessions three hours a week. We were teaching them how to pray. We were modeling it for them. That was great, and it had a great impact, but our kids saw our daily habits every single morning, opening up the word and praying for better or for worse, Mm -hmm. right? I had an awareness that while, you know, we had these one-on-one discipleship meetings every month with these students that were wonderful and transformational and all of that, our kids had access to daily, moment-by-moment discipleship conversations about life and how do we follow God and all of that. Um, You know, many of these graduates of that discipleship program are now on staff at churches across the nation as lead pastors and children's and youth pastors and worship leaders and all of that but we only had a certain amount of impact on their life Mm -hmm. compared to the impact that we have on our own kids. And so I just want to encourage us in this topic of God wants godly offspring as the fruit of our marriages, even for someone in full-time ministry that has had the opportunity to minister to hundreds and maybe even thousands by this point of our life, we are still aware as husband and wife and as parents that the most concentrated, saturated, potent opportunity for ministry in our life is in the hearts and lives of our kids and our grandkids because of all those things. It's not just what they hear from a stage. It's what they see lived out on a day-to-day basis. And that's pretty intimidating as a parent, right? Yeah. Hello. Jeez. But there's so much potential in that. Yeah. Kingdom potential in that as well. 
So our first ministry really, our first ministry, our most important ministry is the ministry of our offspring. Amen. I want to go to the scriptures real quick and show you this uh, passage from Malachi chapter 2, verse 15. I want to read it out of the message translation first. It says, God, not you, made marriage. His spirit inhabits even the smallest details of marriage. And what does he want from marriage? It goes on to say, children of God. That's what. So guard the spirit of your marriage within you. Don't cheat on your spouse. So, so the, they're asking here in, in the word of God, what does God want for marriage? Like what is one of his main goals? And the scripture says he wants children of God, godly offspring, right? Week one, we talked about how it's important to ha- know the purpose of our marriage, right? The, this is a huge one. One of the biggest values that we can bring to the table when we're married is to produce children of God. To, to produce children that go out and live a godly lifestyle that shine the light of Jesus everywhere they go. I, I love some other translations of Malachi 2.15. In the New King James Version, it says, God, he seeks godly offspring. So that's where we get that term, godly offspring, right? And then in the NLT, it says, didn't the Lord make you one with your wife? In body and spirit, you are his. And what does God want? godly children from your union. And so God, I think God makes this very clear to us that, man, he wants godly offspring in our marriage, right? Yeah. Hello. That's a, yeah. that's a, a, a large undertaking, that's, that's right? A, it's a big call. It's, it's a, a big call. Yeah. And so many times people can be like, oh, I'm not called to ministry or I'm not whatever. No, if you are married and you have children, you have a pastoral shepherding role to pastor your home. Wow. To shepherd your home. That's good. And maybe you're here this morning and your kids are older, they've grown out of the home, and your relationship with adult children is different, for sure. But they're still blood, and you still have um, the opportunity to pray for them. You still love them more than anybody else loves them here on earth. And so this message is not to bring shame if you have adult children that aren't living for the Lord. God's not done with them yet. But for those of you that have young children or have a desire to have children, just recognizing that, wow... I might not be the pastor of a church, but I'm the pastor of my home. Hmm. I'm the shepherd of my home. And how am I multiplying the kingdom of God through my kids? And you hear us saying as pastors, yes, what we do for the Lord and what he's called us to do is important, but our most potential latent opportunity for ministry is in our home. Yeah. Um, And so catch that. And maybe you're here this morning and you're like, I don't have a desire to have kids or I don't have kids. We're going to talk about that a little bit more in the second point, but God wants our life as believers to have fruit of godly offspring. So how are we discipling the next generation? How are we multiplying the kingdom of God in the hearts of little ones? Um, So God is looking for godly children from our union, and so we have to ask the question, how are our current lifestyle rhythms? How are our current priorities? How are the current values in our Mm -hmm. life? How is our current personal health, relational health, spiritual health, positioning and directing our kids to be the godly offspring that God desires. You know, getting a hold of our schedule. What does that look like? Prioritizing prayer and Bible reading. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, when the kids are young, a lot of times you you read the Bible before they wake up because it's not fruitful after they wake up, right? But oftentimes it's helpful (laughs) to just keep keep it on the table. I know it's not fruitful that you're reading and they're climbing over your lap and all of that. And you have your quiet time when they're sleeping if you're able to. But modeling for them that they know, man, the Bible app's always open on my mom's phone. The Bible's always by her nightstand. The Bible's always open. 
being aware of how we're modeling, how are we reacting, how are we being generous, how are we being selfless, how are we saying I'm sorry frequently, how are we modeling, you know, uh, scripture talks about how our lives, whether we're married or not, our lives are living epistles. Yeah. They're, they're a living book written to show what it looks like to live for God. So how is our daily, moment-by-moment life modeling that for the children in our life, the grandchildren in our life, the next generation in our life? Um, yeah, and as a church community, we're going to talk about more the church angle of this, but as a church community, you know, we bring our kids to church, and if we bring our kids to church every week, then they're getting one to two hours of discipleship in the context of the church, which is amazing and, and powerful and a beneficial weekly habit. But that cannot overpower what's being modeled at home, Amen. right? It's yeah. a supplement. That's so good. Another scripture for you guys uh, that we love, Psalm 127, verses 3 through 5. I want to read it out of two translations for you. The first one's out of the New King James Version. Uh, many of us are familiar with this scripture. We, we do this at child dedications when we dedicate children here and alive. It says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. I love verse 4. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has a quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies at the gate. So the children are obviously a heritage. They're a gift, but they're also arrows. And I like how the message translation reads. It says, don't you see that children are God's best gift? The fruit of the womb is his generous legacy. Like a warrior's fistful of arrows are the children of a vigorous youth. Oh, how blessed are you parents with your quivers full of children. Your enemies don't stand a chance against you. You'll sweep them right off your doorstep. I love that. There is so much in what God does through a godly marriage as far as godly offspring. And the Bible says that children are like arrows, right? Now, I don't hunt a lot and I don't do that, but I know that's that time of the season right around here. But, um, you know, the question is, what arrows are we shooting into the world from our marriage, right? Specifically, right, the interesting thing I know about arrows is they can go whatever direction you want, right? Whatever direction you're pointing them. They can go north, south, east, west. They can go this way, that way. They can come from high to low, low to high, right? It all depends on where you're pointing them, so good. right? And, and this is true in our children, right? We have to be intentional to aim and point our kids in the right direction, point them in the direction of the Lord, right? So, so question for us, what direction are we pointing our children, right? Are we modeling for them what's really important in life, right? And, and how are we sharpening these arrows, right? Because there's a difference between a sharp arrow and a dull arrow, right? And we want our children to cut through culture, cut through the junk and the noise of our culture. Come on, somebody. We want to be, uh, we want a quiver full of them. We're blessed because we have them, but we want to make sure we're shooting them out there in the right direction so they can be a light and an impact for the kingdom of God. I love what Joshua says in Joshua 24, 15. He says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, right? As for our arrows, we're going to point and shoot those towards the Lord. Amen? Yeah, that's so good. You know, there's a, a common theme in culture that let, let kids find their own truth. Let them decide what is truth, and you just support what they say, whatever, regardless of what their age is. Yeah. I love the imagery of that. No, as a parent, we point the direction. We tell our kids what truth is. Yeah. We train them. We guide their life. And yeah, when they're older, that slowly goes away as they make choices for their own, but we're to direct their life Amen. and to produce godly offspring. So powerful. All right, number two um, is kind of a, an extension of point one, but in the context of church community. Number two, God wants a generational church. Amen. 
you know, maybe you have young kids at home, maybe you have grandchildren at home, or maybe you don't, but as all of us are in the family of God, we're all adults. Most of us here in the room are adults in the family of God. And as believers, we are called to multiply. We are told to tell the next generation, right? Psalm 145.4 says, one generation shall praise your works to another Mm -hmm. and declare your mighty acts. And so, man, we're so passionate here at Alive Family Church of being a multi-generational church that's reaching the next generation. That one generation is telling the next generation how to know God personally and how to live for him passionately. We all have a part to play in that for the next generation. You know, the church is one generation away from extinction. Right. This next generation are the next pastors, missionaries, um, parents, Mm -hmm. kingdom-minded businessmen and women, community leaders. This next generation, Gen Z, are the current um, elementary kids, youth kids, and young 20-year-olds. They're the future of the church. And we want, we want you guys to know as like a vision, culture-setting thing that we believe in this next generation. Amen. And we want them to feel like this church is as much a part of, it's their church yes. as much as it's our church. Yeah, that's so good. We're so passionate about this, guys. And we were thinking about it the other day, um, you know, on the Alive staff, we have someone from each generation Mm. on the staff, which is awesome because we want to be a multi-generational church. We've got a Gen Zer on staff. We've got some millennials on staff. We've got a Gen Xer, a couple Gen Xers on staff and a boomer on staff. And that's awesome. We want to be a multi-generational church. And really most statistics say that on a Sunday morning, 25% of the attendance of, um, that of people in church, usually statistically, usually 25% our children, our children and youth. Here at Alive on any given Sunday morning, depending on the Sunday, our cumulative attendance, 30 to 50% of those gathering on Sunday morning is the next generation, is the the elementary kids, the preschool kids, the babies, the youth, which is awesome. It means that we really are a live family church. We really are a live fertile Fertile church. church. Yes. We really are reaching this next generation, but I want to just I want to just say this to you because um, Ian and Kathleen, we've been talking with them about this a lot. And a couple months ago, they shared some of this with the students, but we haven't shared it with you guys as a whole. And we're so passionate about this because we've got middle schoolers and high schoolers and elementary age kids coming through the doors. And if this church is as much their church as it is our church, then they should see their generation greeting at the front door. Then they should see their generation worshiping up on stage, right? Then they should see their generation. Serving in media tech, and a lot of them are already serving on kiosk and a lot of the different kids' rooms. But um, we are a multi-generational church, but a lot of times what happens is that kids get really involved in youth group, and the youth group becomes their church. And so then they graduate high school, and they don't feel connected to the church as a whole. And so a lot of times people are like, why are the students walking away from their faith after they graduate high school? It's because they never felt connected to the church as a whole. Yeah. And so the transition is abrupt. It's really sharp. Oh, yeah. like, is this my church? I mean, because youth was my church, but is this my church? Mm. And so we've been having lots of conversations with um, Ian and Kathleen and the staff as a whole 
we, that is not what's happening here at Alive. No. And a big, a big way that a lot of churches are moving against that model, which was really the model of the last 20 years, have a really big, enthusiastic, giveaway free candy youth group. <laughs> and who cares if they go into main service or not? It's a broken system. Yeah. And so we're prayerfully considering what does that look like? And, and Ian and Kathleen shared with the students a couple months ago, like, man, pastors want you guys on stage leading worship. And we want you greeting at the door. And we want you leading and serving just like everyone else at yeah. church. And their eyes lit up. Mm -hmm. They were so excited. They were like, oh, really? There's a place for me at the table? Mm -hmm. Really? They want, I can use my gifts before I graduate high school. Yeah. And so we're prayerfully considering what that looks like. They're able to serve in any capacity. Right now they have... Um, youth at the 11 a.m. service. And so we're contemplating what would it look like if youth was always on Sunday night so they could fully be engaged. Just like adults, we say, hey, serve and attend on Sunday morning and be a part of a, a small group or a crew. Yeah. What if for the youth it was the same way? Hey, serve and attend. This is your church just like it's the adults' church. Yeah. And your crew, your community is youth group, a live youth on Sunday nights. Amen. And so we're just prayerfully pondering what could that look like so that when they graduate high school, nothing really changes. They just jump to the young adult crew instead of the a live youth crew. Yeah. Does that excite you guys? Yeah. We're so passionate about, about that. that. Yeah. Um, you know, 1 Timothy 4.12 says, let no one despise your youth. Mm -hmm. Don't look down on them. Man, some of these kids, we've got kids in the youth group that already are sensing what God's calling them call to do. Lives, God's speaking yeah. to their hearts in powerful ways. Amen. They don't have to be a certain age for God to, to use them. Yeah. Don't let, um, let no one despise your youth, but be an example to believers in word and conduct and love and spirit and faith and impurity. Amen. Amen. Wow. Do you need a break? I could keep talking, but I think it's a good time I, I, I think, to transition. I think it's a great time to transition. So, uh, man, how exciting. Like, I don't know about you guys. Who wants to be a part of a church like that that's reaching every generation? Come on. I, I think that's the kingdom of God and the beauty of the house of God. And uh, we're going to fight tooth and nail for that. It's not easy. It takes intentionality and effort. But man, together, I think yeah. we can help do this. God, God wants yeah. godly offspring from this this, this body, this, this family. family, obviously our marriages and all of yeah. that, but, but back to our actual marriages and relationship yeah. focus, all right? So we talked about godly offspring. We talked about a generational church. The third thing that I think it's really important for us to realize is this. Your marriage can preach Jesus. Your marriage can be the best sermon that the world ever hears, right? This is super underrated, yet super potent with potential and power of God, Right? Uh, we've been sharing all these love handles all month in this series, right? To have a better, healthier marriage. And they all point to one, right? Uh, you can be happily married, right? You can have a unified vision for your marriage. You can communicate on a heart level and deal with conflict in a healthy way. You can have great sex when you do it God's way, right? And you can do all of that and preach Jesus to a world that desperately needs it, right? Wow, sounds like God knew what he was doing when he created marriage, right? And the fact is he did, and that's why he did it. He did it intentionally. You know, when you think about the marriage union between husband and wife, it is the only human relationship that is a mirror to God's relationship with, with his people according to Scripture. We see this over in Ephesians chapter 5. There's a lot there, and Ephesians chapter 5 is a great chapter when you're looking at relationships and whatnot. We've went to a few of these verses previously in the series. I want to highlight a few. In Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to look at verses 22. 25, and then 31 through 33, just to get some context here. 
Starting in verse 22, Paul says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Verse 25, he says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Verse 31, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Man, this Christ-centered, selfless, unconditional love that we can have, it's hard, but we can have with our spouse is the same as, uh, it's to be an image, a picture of the living, walking, breathing, tangible picture of Jesus' love for us. That is so beautiful and so powerful, right? I know this is a deep and challenging thought when it comes to marriage, but the truth is that God calls us up to this truth, right? He, he sets the bar, he sets the standard, and it's going to take a lifetime of marriage, amen, to figure this out and work together and begin to love selflessly and serve one another and paint a decent enough picture of, of Christ's love. But here's what I know, it's worth it. It's so worth it. Our marriage can have an eternal impact. And a uh, cool story, just real quickly, uh, you know, Eric and I were married over 16 years ago, but I remember when we were engaged and we were preparing for the wedding ceremony, one of our biggest heart prayers was that people would get saved at our wedding ceremony. Now, I know that a lot of couples don't think about that. They're like, what's the DJ and who's the cool photographer and what matching thing and all that. And we, we have all fun with that, but like we knew that unsaved family members, friends, and community people were going to come to our ceremony. And that might be the only time they ever stepped in church, and that might be the only gospel presentation that they ever saw. So we prayed and we fasted and we said, God, if you could touch just one family, one person, we would be elated. That'd be the best wedding gift we would ever want to receive from you. Lo and behold, we had a great ceremony. It's very God-focused, lots of worship, lots of symbolism of Christ loving the church and dying for people. Well, I don't know how long it was, but a, a good time after our wedding ceremony, we, we, we uh, got a note or a, a text. We found, or, we found out. A couple years later, we couple found years later, out yeah. someone that had coached me in basketball growing up. After coming to our wedding ceremony, like the next Sunday, they decided we need to start going to church. And they started going to church, and then they started having kids and raising their kids in the church. And, and that was never like, a part of their life before. Never they, a part so of their they life. They got saved because of their expression of God's love for the church at our ceremony. And now are full out living for the Lord um, and with their kids. Praise God, right? So our marriages can have an eternal impact. They, they can leave a legacy, right? I, I, love this way. I love to think of it this way. Our love for each other releases the fragrance of Jesus to others. It can, right? It has the potential to. John chapter 13, verse 35, Jesus said this to his disciples. He says, by, all, by this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So our love for one another can preach Jesus to a world that's desperately craving authentic, real love from God, right? So examples of this, man, when we show kindness to our spouse, it can be a small glimpse of the kindness we have been shown from God in heaven, right? When we offer grace and forgiveness after our spouse blows it, which how many of you guys know, that's going to happen over and over again, right? When we choose to have mercy and grace, it gives the world a glimpse of God's mercy, grace, and forgiveness for them, Right? And the joy, like if we actually are happily married, we actually act like we like each other, right? We laugh and we smile and we, we, we're attracted to be around. People want to be around us because like, it's a good, healthy relationship. That can preach the joy 
of a relationship with Jesus, amen, the, the intimacy with Jesus. And so I know we've given you guys a discussion question every week to get a love handle. Uh, if you're taking notes today, here's the discussion question maybe this week that you can have some more dialogue on to get into this more eternal impact of your relationship. It's this, what gospel mar- message is our marriage preaching? What gospel are we presenting through our marriage union? That's so a, it's a challenging, sobering question yeah. sometimes, right? Right? What Jesus are we displaying for the world to see? Right? This is one of those kind of like step on your toes, get in your grill, I don't like it, it's uncomfortable questions, but it, it's the one that can produce a lot of fruit and growth when we lean into it. Right? Is the gospel message that our marriage is sharing to the world around us one of selfishness and bitterness and pride and betrayal and hurt and unforgiveness? Or does our marriage tell a beautiful story of mercy of grace, of kindness, of forgiveness, of restoration, of, of healing, right? Of selflessness, of redemption, of salvation. And with God, all things are possible. Amen? Our marriages can be a beautiful story, a gospel story, a gospel message to the world, to our relatives, to our family members, to our coworkers, to the people we engage with in our community. Why are you so happy? And why do you have it all together? Well, we don't have it all together, but man, we know the one who does. We know the one who holds it all together for us. We're endeavoring to put Christ first, right? Does our marriage showcase us or the one who brought us together? Does our marriage exist to make us famous or to make Jesus famous? Does our marriage tell a story of, man, do we live to serve each other? Or have others serve us? Or do we serve Jesus, right? I mean, I, I just, I'm just so stirred up about this. Man, Lord, open up our eyes to see the potential that our marriage unions should be having and could be having. And with little adjustments and tweaks can really help preach a gospel without ever using any words, right? People are watching, whether you realize it or not, they're watching, right? Man, that our marriages and the way we interact with each other, with our spouses, one of the most potential-laden missional tools that we have to share the gospel with the world that desperately needs it. Some of you guys are like, I didn't even know I had that gospel-sharing tool. You do. God gave you a partner, a gift, and your spouse. And when we honor and cherish the marriage relationship and keep the marriage bed pure and win at love and communication and all these things and have a vision, God can propel his vision and mission through our union. And that is powerful, right? That we have a daily opportunity to be a witness for a God in heaven who loves a lost and broken and dying world. And we can let that radiate out of our marriage union. Man. So good. That's powerful stuff, isn't it? And so may, may we as a church endeavor to take all these love handles that we've had this month and and begin to apply them, to chew on them, to, to, to work on them again so that we can shine the light of Jesus through that marriage union to a world that needs it. I think the best is still yet to come. And no matter where you're at in your marriage, no matter where you feel like, man, the gospel message that we've been preaching, <laughs> you don't want to hear that one, right? Hey, God is a God of grace and mercy, amen? And we all have bonehead moments. We all miss it. We all stumble. That's why we need Jesus. Amen. If we were all perfect, we wouldn't be having church because there's a sign that says no perfect people allowed. Amen. And so we wouldn't be coming because we need a God who can help us in all of our imperfections and all the ways we miss it. But man, may we remember that marriage is so much bigger than just the two of us. Yeah, so good. Amen. That God wants godly offspring. 
from this church house, God wants a generational church that invests and passes on the glory and the works and the stories of the Lord to each and every succumbing generation that comes after us. And may we remember that even on our worst and best days as a married individual, our relationship can preach Jesus. What an amazing invitation. How many of you guys know we need God's help to do that? Amen. All of these handles are given by God, and he's the one that can help sustain us. He's the one that gives us the wisdom, and he can lead us and guide us by his spirit of what tweaks and adjustments we make. And I believe, without a shadow of a doubt, that our relationships have been challenged this month. They've been strengthened this month. They've been encouraged this month. Tools have been given. And now we need to work out what God is doing in our hearts to build what God wants us to build here at Alive and Beyond. A kingdom-focused church that has marriages that are healthy and strong and thriving, not just surviving, preaching Jesus to a world that desperately needs it. Amen? Would you join us as we close in prayer today and ask for God's grace and his help as we endeavor to apply these love handles to our relationships? Heavenly Father, we love you so much. And we just thank you for an opportunity to look to your word and to follow you and to trust in you. Father God, we love you so much and we thank you that you love us more than we could ever even think or imagine. And Lord, you created the marriage unit. You created relationships. You knew we, it would be not good if we were alone. And so Father, you created all this stuff and you will know how it works best. Father, thank you for stirring us and showing us this morning that man, marriage is so much more than just two individuals. It's actually three. When we put you at the center, it's like a three-fold cord that cannot be easily broken, Lord, and we weave around you. Lord God, you can do so much more than we ask, think, or imagine through our marriage relationships and unions. And so, Father God, we pray for your grace and your mercy where we've missed it in some of these areas. Holy Spirit, I pray for a great, great wave of joy and hope and faith sweeping through our hearts and our relationships, not shame and guilt, and man, we really messed it up. Lord God, we're never, if we're, if we're still breathing, we still got a chance to receive mercy and grace from you and we still got an opportunity to do it right. And you're gracious and you're merciful. Your Bible and your word says that mercies are new every morning and great is your faithfulness. And so Father God, we just choose to trust in you like we've been singing and worshiping this morning, that we trust in God, our Savior, because you never fail. And so, Father God, we thank you for every relationship represented here, both in person or tuning in and watching online. Lord, would you strengthen that relationship? Would you heal and restore the broken parts of that relationship? Would you mend hearts back together? Would you heal? Would you, would you uh, Lord, advance that relationship? Would you enhance that relationship? Bring great rivers of joy back to those relationships. Bring a freshness to those relationships and those marriages, Lord. Bring a holiness and a purity back to the relationships, Father God. And may our marriages be the fragrance of heaven here on earth. May our marriages represent, Jesus, how you love us. May people be able to see and experience the gospel without ever hearing a word preached to them. Oh, Father, we know that takes work. That's a high call. But Lord, you'll never ask us to do something if you wouldn't empower us by your Spirit to get there. And so Holy Spirit, come now and move and fill us to the overflow so that we can be an effective witness for you. So that kingdom come and your will be done here on earth and in our relationships as it would be in heaven. Father, we love you, we praise you, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. And everybody agreed, said, amen, so be it.